Blog Talk Radio. to you by Health Innovation Media, where we monitor and inform the journey to a sustainable healthcare economy. And wouldn't that be cool, huh? A sustainable healthcare economy. So welcome, everyone. I'm Greg Masters, the producer and co-host of the show. And in the virtual studio is my colleague, Fred Goldstein, principal co-host and co-founder of Pop Health Week. Hey, Fred. Hello, Greg. How you doing today? I've been doing very well. We survived the tropical storm that came through, got a bunch of rain, but otherwise it's beautiful today. And how about you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. Uh, We on the West Coast worry about earthquakes, not tropical storms. Yeah, we're doing good here in San Diego. So for those of you not familiar with Fred, he's a veteran healthcare executive and the president of Accountable Health LLC, a Jacksonville, Florida-based consulting firm and the past chair and current board member of the Population Health Alliance. He is known on Twitter as F.S. Goldstein. Fred's experience expands hospital and health system administration, HMO general management, and is the founder of a disease management company. My background includes thought leadership and strategy consulting for hospitals, health systems, capitated medical groups, IPAs, PHOs, and their MSOs. I publish and principally author ACOWatch.com, HealthInnovationMedia.com, and most recently, PrecisionMedicine.Center. Please follow me on Twitter via at 2HealthGuru. So today, we continue our coverage of issues in the emerging population health space, including evidence-based best practices with key thought leaders, innovators, academicians, and best-in-class vendors, and We turn the table, so to speak, on this broadcast as our special guest is the one and only Fred Goldstein, who has just returned from a visit to Health City, Cayman Islands, where he and a team of colleagues met with the senior leadership of the trend-setting operation in the medical tourism space known as the Nariana Model, the brainchild of a Dr. Devi Shetty. There's lots of options in the medical tourism space, and it's probably approaching maybe 10 to 12 years in terms of maturity, ranging from India to the New Zealand, um, to New Zealand. But this one is a stone's throw away from the good old US of A. So with no further ado, Fred, tell us about your trip to the, to this Caribbean paradise and why should Americans care about what they're doing? <laughs> Thanks, Greg. And while it is a, a, a paradise down there, I will say that on this trip, I believe it rained most of the day because the tropical storm that came through Florida actually began down there. So I, I had the rain follow me as I came home. Um, but it was a, once again, this is a, the second time I've been down there and uh, really an opportunity to further uh, dig into what they're doing, how they do it and why they set up the facility in the ways they did. And again, we were joined by a group of uh, folks from the United States who are looking at 
this facility as an option for some of their healthcare services. And what's really occurred there is um, Dr. Debbie Shetty has been on a mission for a number of years to try to bring the costs of healthcare down to the point that all people around the globe literally can get access to these life-saving procedures and surgeries and things like that. And uh, particularly in India, they've been very focused on this for a while with his Narayana Health Company. And they're actually doing open heart surgery on children for $1,600, all in physician, hospital, anesthesiologist, x-ray lab, et cetera. And, okay, uh, and his goal, time, time, time out. Did you say $1,600? I did. $1,600 uh, in, in India for open heart procedures on children. All in. And Hospital. All in. Physician. Yes. Ancillary. Anesthesia. Radiology. All in. Yes, that's correct. And it, it's, just, it's just stunning when you think of that like you did. And his goal, believe it or not, is to drop that in half within the next five years. Uh, for those who may have seen or not seen him, the Wall Street Journal, I believe it was, referred to Dr. Shetty as the Henry Ford of healthcare. Uh, they have worked out procedures and, and strategies and ways to effectively do these things at much lower cost while actually maintaining or improving the clinical outcomes. And so what is, in essence happened is they then went to uh, Grand Cayman and the Cayman Islands and have now opened a facility there. Uh, as they say, they built the facility from scratch and they assumed they had no money to start. So the entire hospital was opened for $430,000 a bed versus a $1 million to $2.5 million a bed price in the United States. And that included all the original consumables to put in there. The facility is accredited by the Joint, Commi by Joint Commission International, uh, which is the same group that accredits U.S. hospitals under their Joint Commission Accreditation Health Organization, JACO label. And uh, they were actually accredited as one of the fastest internationally or maybe the fastest international hospital accredited in, in the history so far. And they do a number of specialty surgical procedures in cardiac, orthopedics, um, and, uh, and, and other areas. They have about eight of them and, uh, and are looking to bring that service to the islands and South America as well as companies in North America who are looking for high quality outcomes at a, at a very low price, typically a third of the cost of a similar procedure in the United States. The first place I went when you referred to their cost of building this hospital relative to, let's say, a U.S. equivalent, uh, which is one third fractionally of, of what we see here in the U.S. was, well, yeah, they don't have the regulatory burden. They perhaps uh, aren't meeting quality standards as evidenced by perhaps third, party, third parties like the Joint Commission, but you went right there. They have third-party accreditation through the uh, international version of JACA, which I assume would essentially reflect similar quality standards, if not from the regulatory perspective. Is that correct? That's correct. And, and when you think about it, what they did in building this hospital, as they clearly point out, is it's a nice facility. It's comfortable. But they have no fountains. There's no marble. There's no artwork. They, they um, looked at it strictly from how do we make this function the best. And one of their areas they also focus on is this whole issue of infection control, 
because not only are they low cost, but they have a bundled price. So everything they do is in one price. You know what the price is up front when you walk in and that's the price when you leave. And, uh, and that, and so, and then they, if something happens within 30 days, they bring you back at their cost um, for that. So they've, they've really taken a look at it and they, and they do things like change the air in their ORs actually at a higher rate than is done in the United States. The same with their ICUs, their individual rooms, similar to some hospitals all have their own singular air handling system. They don't share air. Um, and they, they just make it their mission to, produce very high quality outcomes. And what they're moving to now is they're actually going to be publishing their outcomes online on a monthly basis. So you'll know what their infection rate is, readmissions, any of those kinds of things. So let me say, wow, um, I had to mute the mic. We This is trash collection day here in Oceanside, California. So <laughs> Uh, but, uh, yeah, so while you were saying that, the, where I went was uh, I went to the proven care model, this whole idea of warranting or guaranteeing a service, and you went right there. Even though the relative price point here is beyond comparison as far as anything I'm aware of, there even offers, they even offer a guarantee. That's incredible. Yeah. Yes. And uh, so it's been – it was interesting, and obviously – chance over these visits to talk to their doctors and look at their quality reporting and, and meet with their staff. And they've explained how, how their systems work. And they gave us a tour. Um, and they've, they've also built the hospital extremely efficiently. They, tr- they um, are a very energy efficient hospital. They have um, CT down there. They have x-ray. They have full lab 24-7. And, uh, and they've really looked at it continuously from that perspective of how do we improve the quality? And as um, the head of the hospital there said, their mission too is to see if they can drop their price in half in the next three to five years as well per Dr. Shetty. So this is amazing. I mean, particularly with almost real-time reporting on infection rates or nosocomial infection experience, because as we know, decades of efforts of infection control committee have actually kept those rates relatively flat and in some cl- in some cases actually increasing from for the more serious infections like sepsis. So this is an amazing story that's being told. Tell us a little bit about the infrastructure beyond the bricks and sticks of the building. What's the configuration down there? Is this is something uh, is this something Dr. Shetty is the employer and he hires other doctors? Is it a medical group? What relationship does it have to Nari on things like that? And by the way, I think there's also an Ascension connection here. Talk a little bit about that. There is. So Ascension Health is also involved with the with the uh, facility and has a, I believe the CEO of Ascension sits on their board. And they're using this as a, an opportunity to learn and see what sorts of practices they can also bring to the states based on this. Um, and the way the medical staff is structured is the physician's in the hospital, all came over from India. Um, they were selected by Dr. Shetty uh, to go there, and uh, they have two-year um, options there and can extend those, or if, if they would like, they can go back. But the entire, essentially the entire clinical staff of the hospital is from India. They are all employed. The physicians are employed, as well as the, obviously, nurses and radiology techs and the lab techs, et cetera. And... Um, and they, uh, you know, run the same 
standards that they're running in the Narayana facilities over in uh, India. And they, uh, you know, use the latest guidelines, but they are able to obviously purchase supplies and equipment from India at a much lower rate than you would purchase those in the United States. Um, and uh, that obviously also is able to contribute to their lower prices while they're still using, uh, for example, for their, for their knees or hips, they use one um, implant device. They don't have multiple manufacturers they're buying from. They've selected one and they buy all of those, uh, but they're the same ones that would be used in the United States. So high quality, lean standards, total control, if you will, in terms of professional services, and I would imagine the entire hospital environment. This is a winning solution. I mean, how, how, how does this not take over the world, Fred? Give us, give us your take on that. Well, I think what, what was interesting as we talked to them is, is clearly it's a, it's a model that has proven successful. The difficulty we have here in the States is, as an example, we, and we, we discussed this, is we have to transition from what we've already built they were able to do this from scratch. And so it makes it considerably easier to, to do these kinds of things with your, with both from a, you know, whether it's from construction or operations perspective or the relationships between the staff and the, and the doctors, et cetera. It, it was all, it's all done from scratch based on what they've learned elsewhere. So I believe there are a lot of things we can learn here in the States and bring here, whether we can get to be as efficient as they are, uh, may prove more difficult because we do have this legacy structure. As, as an example, if you do a one, as I call it, a one-page, one-line, one-price bill, how many billing staff do you need in your hospital? You don't, and that's the difference. And so they did say, yes, if somebody requires us to give them all the CPT codes or the ICD-10 codes, et cetera, we can do that, but do you really need all of that other stuff? We can give you, here's the diagnosis, here was the procedure done, here's, and here's the one price, and we have two and a half people in our billing department. And, and so some of that's going to prove a little more tough here in the States. A little? <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Shall we, Very shall true. we say uh, uh, persistent heartburn? Uh, as in never, yeah. yeah. So, it could so be. I here think we go. So we talked about. Yeah, but each of so, each of these things in the United States is additive. We always add another layer. Well, you need to. We need to subtract. If we want to get this under control, we need to subtract. Well, there you go. I mean, simplicity. I mean, we are uh, the most complex ecosystem in healthcare, bar none, in the developed world. There's no question about that. We can just see on per capita expense uh, what that translates into in terms of multiples from anyone else's experience. But so blank canvas, single-mindedness in terms of purpose and focus, perhaps a somewhat relaxed regulatory environment, yet um, a standard uh, at the level of quality, perhaps equal to minimally equal to what we would see here in the U.S. Is that correct? Yeah, I think you could actually compare their outcomes, at least from what I've seen so far, um, and, and to any of the really high-quality facilities in the United States. Okay, so, Fred, 
how about we talk triple aim, we talk accountable care, we talk about value, the volume to value transition that CMS and commercial health plans are trying to enable through their specific relationships contractually via ACOs and others. Is it possible that we can flex and achieve the triple aim or is it just going to get shunted to operations like the Nariana model and others where they have both cost and quality advantages? Um, I, if you're saying can, will it all offshore? There are barriers to that. Um, let alone getting a passport or, or in fact, if you look at Medicaid today, it's illegal in per the ACA for Medicaid to pay for care outside the United States. So you could, at this point, it would be difficult. I think the lessons can be learned, but what's clear here is if you do go to that fully bundled price and you bring it all together, uh, obviously they employ their physicians. You then, the physicians then don't have the incentive. The, uh, the hospitals don't necessarily have the incentive to do all of this stuff and begin to become and look at it much more different, much differently and say, how do I make this very, very efficient? while maintaining or, in fact, working to improve my quality. So, so other I don't know that we'll be able to get there. Yeah, so other than, it sounds like cardiology is the main you know, a center of excellence for them. Are they doing any other services? Yeah, they're doing orthopedics. Um, they're doing um, bariatrics. I think they're doing plastics. Uh, there are about eight areas. They're, they're going to be adding a cancer facility down there. The goal at the end of the day is 2000 beds. They have a hundred and just over a hundred beds there now. And, um, and then they'll um, expand out and ultimately want to put a medical school in as well as a primary research center in this entire complex as they build it up. But they're going to start working on building their cancer center next. Ah, oncology. Well, that'll be big. Mm-hmm. So, okay, let's, pivot a little bit unless there's something else to to talk about in terms of that narrative it sounds to me like this is um, a solution for a number of health plans who are into medical tourism as a center of excellence an offshore center of excellence option particularly when you get down to these price points where there's just nothing available stateside that can compete and if the quality is there and they're reporting it in near real time seems to me like a no-brainer. Are there other health plans here participating? Well, they do have some health plan contracts, but where the, where they seem to be getting a fair amount of potential traction is in uh, self-insured employers who are looking at this as an option for their employees and can also and can um, use their benefits to also help drive utilization. So, you know, we've seen brokers insurance brokers visiting, large self-insured employers visiting. I know the cruise lines use them very much, apparently. And, um, and you're beginning to see um, some insurers. And then the question becomes with the insurers, can you translate the, that they're in the insurance network into a plan document, you know, a plan offering for an employer group to then use them? Very good. Well, interesting. We'll look forward to an update from you at some point in the future. Let's talk a little bit now about what you're seeing out there. Just as a pop health expert, someone who's been involved from disease management to accountable health, 
talk a little bit about where we're at health economics wise in terms of all these initiatives, CMS, ACOs, et cetera. Just some thoughts. Yeah, I think, um, you know, we're still early. Uh, there are there are people who've been doing population health for a fair amount of time, but that expertise hasn't necessarily disseminated throughout the system. So we've got this understanding that everybody says, oh, we got to do it, we got to do it. And everybody says, I've got a system, I'm running pop health, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. But all of it, or not all of it, but a majority of it at this point is at a fairly basic level. And there's still this question about how do you integrate all this stuff together and what do you do with it? And I think sometimes what happens is we actually overcomplicate the situation by, by believing that in order to do population health, we have to have all of this stuff in place. Whereas you can actually begin very simply in um, whether in a practice or in an ACO or in a hospital and begin to put in those basic management systems to identify, assess, stratify, engage, intervene, and measure. And if you do that and learn from that, then you can begin to expand out and make those programs broader. But we're still, I think a lot of people think it's about throwing a lot of technology at it, and that's just really a piece of the, of, of the system. So where, where are you at on this goal of Secretary Burwell to have you know, 50% of Medicare payment through some value-based arrangement by, can't remember the date, but is that a, is that a viable expectation or is there, a, is there some se- uh, separation here between policy and practice? I think it's, it's um, obviously they're rushing at that very quickly and, and trying to put out new systems, whether it's bundled payments for, for, for uh, some orthopedic procedures or, or next generation ACO models or things like that. And, so it's certainly expanding. Whether it can get to that level by that time period, as I've thought before when I was at HIMSS, this was asked, is possible. I think it's a stretch. But, but the, the move is in that direction. The question becomes, can you create a system that functions more like a Narayana where it is a value-based payment model because they are bundled for everything? And that everything includes what happens. You know, once you land, they're taking you – picking you up, taking the hotel, all that's including the pricing too. So they've sort of worked that out. And I don't know that we necessarily in most cases have, have gotten that worked out. And then we're continuing to still see not great levels of success by the ACOs, et cetera, in terms of actually being able to bend any sort of trend or save money. Well, let's talk about ACOs. I mean, ultimately, do you think that is some – um, way station towards full risk bearing provider organizations that have not just infrastructure, but a culture of operating under a prepaid incentive structure. Is that how, you know, I mean, how close to that are we? Oh, wow. I think we're the ACOs were supposed to sort of be this stepping stone. Um, but it's almost like, you're, you're not in deep enough to get enough pain to really change the systems. And I hear this uh, a lot in, as I go around some of these American College of Healthcare executive meetings and listen to the hospitals discussing what they're doing. And they're still pushing admissions up. They're still trying to do things to increase those bed days. They're acquiring practices so that you can no longer deliver a service on an outpatient basis, but now it moves to an inpatient basis where, or, or say a, uh, one of their outpatient facilities where the cost is two or four X higher than it was initially getting it through the provider. So 
until we get that shift where the big players who are the hospitals really say, I am a cost center. How do I survive in this world? How do I take costs out? Uh, I don't know that an ACO model is going to be able to make that step. So we haven't talked about this, but I want to throw this at you. You started up and uh, developed a rather significant disease management company. You recently served as the um, executive director of the Population Health Alliance, still a board member as far as I know. Uh, You've been around the space and know the ups, downs, and sideways experience of trying to make these things happen. Do you think that we can enable the triple aim via the existing technology and practices of DM companies or as they have perhaps been rebranded as population health management companies? Uh, there, to say that that would enable it is, is would, you know, if I were to say that would be a big stretch, they're a piece of the puzzle. Um, the pricing is a piece of the puzzle, the changing of the values for the organizations as to what they're trying to accomplish and changing the culture of medical delivery is a piece of it, changing an individual's behavior and how they look at their life and live their life is a piece of it. So There's a role for those companies that have that expertise. The technology is a piece. The data is a piece. But you really have to look at that in a broader sense and say, how do we put together systems? You know, for example, going back to Nariana. So their their system is entirely linked in their hospital. It was developed relatively inexpensively, uh, and it's real time. So that lab data is instantly fed to the – once it's run through the lab, it's instantly fed into the record. It's instantly in the doc's hands. It's instantly in the staff's hands. It's alerting them, um, and they built that out probably for considerably less than we're paying for EMRs here in the United States. Um, so I think there are a lot of pieces to it, and if you can put those pieces in place with, with a change in internal philosophy for healthcare, yes. Um, but we're asking, a, we're asking to change a $3 trillion industry in which a lot of people are obviously doing very well at it. And that reminds me of the one thing Rick Scott has said in his lifetime that I'm familiar with is um, show me another industry that wants to get excited about cutting 50% of their revenues, you know? So (laughs) (laughs) yeah. 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 Good luck with that. So, um, and if you were a health system executive, a health plan executive, perhaps, someone tasked with population health management implementation, what would be your first starting point? What, what advice would you give to people out there? I would, I would put together the expertise and make sure I had it to go full risk and make the leap and, and begin to manage because then as I improved my quality and lowered my costs, I would do better. But you have to take the leap. And, and for some, that, that's just a bridge too far. I mean, because in, in some respects, you're talking about converting revenue centers to cost centers, no? Absolutely. And, and you know, pr- pretty profound impacts. Think about if you were managing with two and a half billing people, what that might look like to your hospital billing department today. Or your physician's billing department or the outsourced service you're using to get your collections. It's pretty mind-boggling if you take 30% of the costs out of the system, what that means. Right. Yeah. I'm thinking there will be blood, right? So, right. okay. In our, in our final moments here, 
on Pop Health Week. Let's talk a little bit about something I know you've been following rather closely. And I'm going to couch this into the frame of reference that um, there's been some um, some developing body of knowledge which suggests that the innovation impulse, particularly in Silicon Valley, tech, digital health, so forth, is really a naive tidal wave because more often than not, some of these startups are clueless relative to the industry that they're actually in, particularly from a regulatory framework. The first incidence of this happened to be when the 23andMe operation ignored requests from the FDA. More recently, we've seen a lot of documented drama around Theranos. Talk a little bit about the Theranos drama and the uh, recent Forbes article that suggests now, based on their analysis, that Elizabeth Holmes' worth, net worth, owning 50% of Theranos, once valued at $9 billion, is now effectively zero. What do, what do you have to say on that? So I think what Theranos showed is if you don't really understand the business and then operate your facility as per healthcare requirements, which are very different from rolling a, a fitness app out there or something like that, you're going to get in trouble. And, and what happened was what stunned me perhaps most is that they, even though they had already stopped using their Edison device, their Edison machine to, to measure the lab stuff, they still were fighting the Wall Street Journal that was coming out six, you know, four or five months later saying there are some problems with this thing. And since then, just about everything that the Wall Street Journal has said has proven to be true. And Theranos has had to back off and back off and back off. And I think it's a real problem. I don't know whether the worth is zero, but uh, clearly they've got a lot of fixing to do if they expect to survive. Yeah, and how do you value the, the liability which they now face? having retracted these results. I mean, I, I, I paid for those services, and I'm kind of wondering whether uh, I should be part of this class action lawsuit. <laughs> One never knows. Okay, Fred, well, listen, that's going to be the last word for today's broadcast. I want to thank you for uh, sharing your insights about what's happening offshore at the um, Health City Cayman Island, as well as your general take on the healthcare ecosystem the and how it can fare towards the triple and given a sort of complex mix of often conflicting incentives. So there you have it. This has been another episode of Pop Health Week. Join us next Wednesday for the next installment of our session. And to, until then, this is Greg Master saying bye now for Fred Goldstein. Bye. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.